The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Would you help me thank Matt and the band for leading us this morning? You know, um, as Matt was leading this morning in the nine o'clock, I realized like, yesterday um, we were together just for a little bit as um, we were at the memorial service for his mother-in-law, Kelly's mom, who passed away a couple of weeks ago. And this being Mother's Day and um, just everything that comes with that. Several years ago, maybe about 10 or 12 years ago, my grandmother was driving and had a heart attack and drove off the road and crashed her car and, and died. And as terrible as all of that was, getting through it, I had this conversation with my mother about a year after that. And in this really vulnerable moment between the two of us, she says, my mother, you should know, is an only child. She was born one of uh, triplets and the other two died at birth. Uh, and she said, you know, when grandma died, I lost my best friend. And so I have this friend who says that every moment in life um, is a joyous lament. And that at any given time, like we get to choose um, whether to lean into joy or lean into lament. And life is full of both of them. And so I just want you to know, like wherever you are this morning, as with every morning, every Mother's Day, Father's Day, every weekday, whatever it is, that, um, that God is with you in this joyous lament of life and that it all comes together and that God's greatest promise, at least for me, when I read the scriptures, the thing that I am most overwhelmed with, most taken with, the thing that's most meaningful to me is God's promise that he is with us. And so as you celebrate the moms in your life today, as you celebrate all of your life through the weeks and months ahead, and that the promise of God is that God is with us. And that's all totally free. I didn't plan on saying any of that when I woke up this morning. If you got what you needed and you wanna take a nap or just leave early to go get lunch, that's totally cool. Um, but I just felt like I wanted to share that. As we open the scriptures together, let's ask God's blessing. Pray with me. Creator God, we are so grateful to be in this place to worship you together as a community. And Lord, we come to you as we have already acknowledged and confessed with so much on our hearts, so many places of joy and excitement, of happiness and gratitude, but also so many places of brokenness and disharmony and curiosity and confusion. And our simple prayer this morning, God, is that you would meet us where we are because what we need is you. And we live in a world with so many voices, so many competing voices, so many people who want something from us all of the time, and so many people who want our allegiance and want us to opt into their agenda, and what we need is to hear from you. And toward that end, God, I pray that you pour through me the gift of teaching, that everything said here be from you and because of you, and guiding us towards you, regardless of where we arrive this morning with you, that we would be made well by an encounter with you. And this is our prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
Well, um, I'm always glad to preach on Mother's Day for, for one reason. It's like, unless it's like Christmas Eve or Easter, um, the day that the most people ever go to worship is on Mother's Day. And I don't know if that's our mothers sort of tipping the hand that we probably ought to worship them a little bit. I don't know how all that works. Um, but we arrive with so much anticipation, and um, partly because many years, Mother's Day arrives at this time. It's a season what the church has called for several thousand years, <coughs> Eastertide. And it's this time between Resurrection Sunday and Pentecost. And if you know the church, if you know the Bible, if you've been around the church for a long time, you know the story of Pentecost and the starting of the church. And you also, almost everybody knows the story of Easter. But this, this time of year between Easter and Pentecost is what's called Eastertide. And we focus in that season on what it means to be resurrected, what Jesus' resurrection means. And it's a time of great celebration and profundity and looking at life and reflection. And so because it's such a great time of profound reflection on what Jesus has done through the cross, I thought I would share with something, share something with you this morning that I find equally profound, um, which has to do with this guy, Superman. Now, if you know me well, you will know that Superman is not my favorite superhero. Like, he's not my least favorite. He's down there at the bottom of the list. Like, my least favorite would be, like, the Wonder Twins. Did any of you grow up with the Wonder Twins? Where, like, they had the most random, ridiculous superpowers ever. Like, one, they both had to be together. And one could only turn into, like, a form of an animal. And the other just in form of water. And that's the lamest superpower ever. And I know we all live in the first world, and like, water's just not hard to find. Like, oh, I want some water, or I want some ice. Like, that's just the lamest. But Superman, to me, is close to the lamest, because my favorite superhero, who should be your favorite superhero, is Batman. Because Batman is a real dude with real problems. Like, he was orphaned, his parents were murdered, he's got all of this money to spend, he's completely dysfunctional. We should all relate to Batman. Like, he wasn't, like, bitten by a spider. And, like, Thor and Superman, they're from other planets. I mean, matter of fact, Superman, the only reason Superman has superpowers is that he gets his power from absorbing the energy from our sun. Superman is mooching off your sun and wanting you to call him a superhero for doing it. But there, there are moments, for me at least, when Superman has genuine human interaction that I can relate to. And my favorite Superman is this one, Christopher Reeve, who starred in four Superman movies. And one of my favorite superhero movies, Superman 1. Now, everybody forgets that there are four Superman movies that Christopher Reeve did because the fourth one was so awful. <laughs> but my parents took me to see Superman 1 when I was a kid. 
So we never went to the movies. And they took me, I can remember my parents taking me to see two movies when I was a kid, Superman 1 and The Empire Strikes Back. And we saw Superman 1 when it came out in 1978. So for some of you, the 70s were this time last century um, where all the houses that you are overpaying for now were built. They were just houses when I was a kid. And so my parents took me to see Superman 1 in 1978, and I did there the same thing that I do now when I go see a movie in the theater. It hasn't changed in all those years. If I go see a movie in the theater, 100% of the time, I fall asleep. It doesn't matter if I'm still more than, tw- if, I'm, if I am still and in one location for over 20 minutes, I will be asleep. So like if you fall asleep in the next 20 minutes, I totally get it. Like I'm with you. But, n- but now the problem is I'm a lot older and so I fall asleep in movies and I also like these movies are like two hours, two and a half hours now. I have to go to the bathroom like three times in those two and a half hours. So when I take my kids to the movies, it's just constantly me asking, what happened? What happened? I missed that part because I'm just not there. They should actually pay me to see the movies because I shouldn't pay them because I don't see the movie. And so I fell asleep in Superman 1 in 1978, but I woke up at just the right time because right at the end of the movie, because Superman is battling the very maniacal and evil Gene Hackman. And Gene Hackman plays Lex Luthor, and he has done something, I don't know, because I fell asleep, where everything is going crazy, and there has been a breach of the Hoover Dam, and the dam is broken, and it's about to flood all of this area, and Superman has to go and stop up the dam to save all of these people's lives. But as Superman is doing this and stopping up this dam, the love of his life, the only genuinely human thing about Superman, Lois Lane is driving through the Nevada countryside, and she falls into a crevice that's been opened up by this earthquake, and she dies. And Superman is so upset, so broken by this, that he flies outside of our atmosphere and starts flying around the earth, around the globe, backwards. And what happens as Superman flies around the globe backwards is that he begins to turn back time. He spins the globe in the opposite direction to turn back time. Now, my wife is a science teacher. (laughs) And she says that while it is terribly romantic that a man would fly around the earth backwards to save the love of his life, that it is, scientifically speaking, suspect. The earth rotates on its axis at a thousand miles per hour. And so even if Superman were able to spin the world backwards and save the love of his life, Lois Lane, um, it would give every single person on the planet whiplash. Plus, 
He would undo the damming of the Hoover Dam that he just did, and all of those people would die. But isn't that so human? Like when you look at your life, aren't there some things, some moments where you just wish you could turn back time? Maybe it was something you said. Maybe all of us have said something to a parent or a child or a friend, and as it was leaving our mouths, we knew that we regretted saying this, and we just wish we could just pull them back in. Or maybe it was something that you did, a choice you made, a place you went, an option you chose, and you just wish you could turn back time. And the older you get, the more you're faced with the reality that the arrow of time only points in one direction. Like you can't unbake cookies. You can't uncut hair. You can't unsay the thing that you said. You can't unfile those papers. You can't unhave that divorce. And that's just some of the personal stuff. When we look around our world, aren't there some things that we've opted into that, man, I just wish we could undo? So here's something that we've been dealing with around our house over the last couple of months. About six, seven weeks ago, um, it was a pretty day outside. And my wife is a fifth grade science teacher and it had been cloudy and overcast and rainy for a number of days. And there was finally a clear day. And so for their uh, PE time, she took her class finally outside. The kids were getting tired of being inside. And so the kids are all playing, and there's one little boy who gets on the monkey bars, and he's playing, doing whatever, everything that all the other kids are doing, and he falls and hurts his ankle. And so she takes him in to the nurse because it looks pretty bad. And the nurse looks at it, and she says, I, I don't have an x-ray machine. I'm not a doctor. I can't tell you all of this, but that looks broken, and you need to go see a doctor. I, I can't do that, miss. My, my mom doesn't have enough money for us to go see a doctor. Well, you know, there are public hospitals. You can go to Bintob and other places to get treated. We can't do that. Um, because we're here illegally, and if we go to the hospital, my mom is scared that we'll be reported and they'll send us back. Well, mom eventually shows up at school and takes the kid, and Rochelle and the nurse know what many of you know, and now He's told them 
And if he comes back to school, they have to report it. So six weeks ago, when his mom came and got him, was the last time anyone at the school ever saw him or heard from him. Things you wish you could undo. Maybe we shouldn't go out to play today. Everybody stay off the monkey bars. Like you've had those experiences too where just the least little seemingly inconsequential decision turns out in a way that you just wish you could undo. And that's not even the big stuff. That's not church shootings in Sri Lanka or synagogue shooting in Southern California. That's not war. So many things that we wish we could undo and kind of into this world when we look around and we see all of the injustice and all of the places where people are broken and all the places people are suffering. And there's so much that we wish we could change or undo. And so what happens is we just start grab bagging. So maybe this politician or this party or this economic theory, maybe we could structure things this way. Maybe if we just got all the charities together, we could kind of do this. And every time we do that, we look around and it helps a little bit here and there's a story to be told there and those things are wonderful and great, but there's just more and there's more and there's more and there's more. And we wonder about this world that we live in, is there's anything that we can undo all of this injustice? And what this season of Eastertide reminds us of is that embedded in the scriptures, embedded in the story of Jesus, is the answer to all of the things in life, both personal and in the world around us, that we just really wish we could undo. But one of the problems is that the scriptures don't work that way and you just can't turn to you for undo and figure out the answer. It's embedded in the story. And what happens after the resurrection of Jesus is that there arises a church leader named Paul. And Paul's mission is to get the story right about what we have all seen and what we have all heard. And so when he faces these places where there is inequality and when there is brokenness and when there are things that we wish we could undo. He says, there's an answer to this. And the answer to this, believe it or not, is the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, and some of you were raised in the church and some of you weren't. Um, being a kid who was kind of raised in the church, I heard a lot about this word gospel, what we translate good news. And what was funny about that is that from the time that I was little, people have always been arguing about what the gospel is, which I have found so incredibly weird because the Apostle Paul actually just comes out and says, hey, like this is the gospel and this is the good news. And this good news is meant to heal all of the broken things. And so he sits down and he writes this church in Corinth and he says, I want to remind you of what the gospel actually is, because it's the kind of thing that's really easy to get off course with. And so as he's writing this, he says, this is what the gospel is. Don't lose sight of this. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, 
of the good news that I proclaim to you, the gospel that I proclaimed, which you in turn received, in which you stand, through which also you are being saved. If you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain, for I handed on to you as a first importance. And this is important because no matter who you are or where you're from or what your background is, at some point in your life, you have asked, like, what's the most important thing? Like, what's the most important thing I should be doing? Where should I spend my time? Where should I spend my resources, my energy? What's the most important thing? Because there are a lot of things that are good things. And sometimes there are urgent things, but what's the most important thing? And you don't have to be religious at all to have asked that question. For I handed on to you as a first importance what I in turn had received. And this is going to sound really weird as first importance because you're going to think Paul didn't say anything. This is first importance, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, you're probably asking, Sean, how does that say anything about all of the brokenness in our world? And if we were sitting down over coffee, I would say there are five words that Paul uses that we just glance over because they don't seem important to us but they are of first importance. And those five words are in accordance with the scriptures. So here's what Paul means. You cannot understand what Jesus is doing. You cannot understand what the disciples claim to believe and seen and heard if you don't understand that everything Jesus does is in accordance with the scriptures. That God began a story a long time ago, and this story, this part where Jesus comes in and is crucified, dead, buried, and resurrection, that that's been all a part of, that's not random, that this isn't plan B, that there wasn't some other thing that God was doing and then people did this thing and God kind of got distracted, that this has been one part of a big, huge story. Because everything that Jesus does is done in accordance with the scriptures. This is how the death and the resurrection of Jesus is the answer to despair. Because there's a fancy word that you and I don't normally use, but like theologian and Bible study type people talk about all the time. And it's saying, Jesus, in accordance with the scripture, this is what Jesus does. And here's the fancy word that theologians use. Recapitulation. Recapitulation is the seminary word for redo. It's the seminary word for redo. Now, the great thing about seeing Superman in 1978 is that I grew up in the 80s. And that's before 
um, people started putting pictures of missing kids on the back of milk cartons. And I had one job in our house that was above all the other jobs when it came to relating to my parents. And my one job was to not be at home. They didn't care where we were. This is the level of responsibility. Like there was no such thing as a play date in 1982. Like my job was just to be someplace else. Go out and play. My parents, my parents never knew where I was. And I don't think they cared. As long as you're not here. Like there was just one, there was one rule. That's why parents are so frustrated now. They're like, oh, I need some time away from the Like there was no spa industry when I was a kid because moms didn't need an escape from their children. They just sent their children away. Like we had one rule, like just be home before the lights came on, like be home before the street lights came home. And they never knew where we were. So that meant that we just kind of had free range. And so me and my friends, we were all, we were just eat up with baseball. We played baseball all the time, anytime. And because it was Southern Mississippi, there was a lot of woods everywhere. And so there was this little spot that we played. And every now and then we'd be playing game baseball together and somebody would hit the ball in the woods. And so the game would stop. And we would all go out in the woods kind of searching for this baseball. And once somebody found it, we'd reset everybody to where they were, same ball and strike count. And somebody would say, redo. You just get to do the whole thing over again. That the thing that happened before We don't pick up from the thing that happened before. We start over again. And what Paul is saying is that the resurrection of Jesus is God's great redo. And this was the plan the whole time according to the scriptures. When Jesus shows up, he has 12 disciples. Well, why 12? Why not 11 or 13 or 42 or 200? Why 12 disciples? There were a lot of people who followed Jesus around and listened to his teaching. Why 12? And why, after Judas commits suicide, do the other disciples say, hey, we need to have 12? Because there are 12 tribes of Israel. And Jesus is reconstituting Israel with himself at the center. It's a redo. When the Bible opens up in Genesis, God speaks the world into existence, a world that was, as Hebrew says, tobu abohu, void and formless. But when John sits down to write the story of Jesus, he says, in the beginning, the voice was speaking. And miracles? That, that Jesus just comes along and he performs miracles? And maybe you were like me and you were taught that when Jesus performs a miracle, that that is God suspending the natural order of things. 
to perform this miracle. And that is not what miracles are doing. Miracles are doing a lot of things, but it's not suspending the natural order of things, whether it is healing of a lame man or a hemorrhaging woman. What miracles do is not to suspend the natural order of things. Miracles exist to reveal the natural order of things. Like people aren't supposed to be blind. People aren't supposed to be lame. People aren't supposed to be deaf. People aren't supposed to have cancer. Jesus is restoring the way things were naturally meant to be. And the truth of life is that before you can step into a great redo, into God's redo, that some of us just have to endure an undo. Because you will remember this story too in Exodus, when God comes to Moses and he says, I have heard the cry of my people in Egypt. I want you to go over there and set my people free. And Moses does that. And he says, but before you get there, um, Pharaoh, Pharaoh's been telling everybody something. Pharaoh's been telling everybody that he's God. And he's going to resist. And so that's what Pharaoh did. He said, you know, I'm God. And if you're going to have a bunch of slaves, you're going to have people listen to you and not question you. They've got to believe that you're God or something very much like it. And so Pharaoh and Pharaoh's father before him and his father before him would tell people, hey, you know what? I am the sun and the moon and the stars. And then Moses shows up and then there are plagues and each plague is an undoing of creation. The Nile turns to blood and there are locusts. And then you get to this ninth plague where it is darkness. Pharaoh, if you are the sun and the moon and the stars, then why is there darkness? Because in the beginning there was darkness and only an act of God creates light. And the beauty of that is that for some of us, we are in a place right now where we have become unraveled. And there's so much that we wish we could undo that we are in darkness but God is here to bring us light. The two foundational stories in the Bible that keep happening over and over and over again, just with different names and different characters, are creation and exodus. And God is leading you out of your darkness into a great redo. So one of my favorite stories of post-resurrection is when the Marys go to visit the tomb and take care of Jesus' body. That's Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene. And they get there, and the body is gone. And so Mary, the mother of Jesus, runs back to tell the rest of the disciples. And this is how John tells that story. He says, then they all went to their homes, all the Marys and the, the women who were with them. And Mary, however, this is Mary Magdalene, stood outside the tomb, sobbing, crying, and kneeling at its entrance. As she cried, two heavenly messengers appeared before her, sitting where Jesus' head and feet had been laid. Dear woman, why are you weeping? 
Mary Magdalene says, they have taken away my Lord and I cannot find him. After uttering these words, she turned around to see Jesus standing before her, but she did not recognize him. Dear woman, why are you sobbing? Who is it you are looking for? She still had no idea who it was before her. Thinking he was the gardener, she muttered, Sir, if you are the one who carried him away, then tell me where he is, and I will retrieve him. Mary, Jesus says. Rabbi, my teacher. I love this story about Mary. Because Mary has traveled with Jesus. She knew him well. She financially supported his ministry. And when she sees him after the resurrection, she thinks he's the gardener. And that would be funny if you hadn't seen Superman 1. Because this is the world spinning backwards. Because in the archetypal story of creation, God creates man and woman and sets them in the garden and gives them this responsibility. It is your responsibility to tend and take care of this garden, to be the gardeners in this garden. But they sin and fall short. But after the resurrection, what the scriptures want you to know, what the scriptures want me to know, is there is a new gardener. And this gardener hits the reset button on everything about you and everything about me. And for most of us, we have been told a story about ourselves and we have been telling ourselves a story about ourselves that isn't true. And that story sounds something like this, that you are born bad and evil and unworthy. And thank God you can be something maybe close to good because of something that Jesus did. And while that is part of the story, that is not the story because this is the great recapitulation, the redo. And the story that you and I now live into is that we are no longer children of the fall. We are children of the resurrection. And everything about us doesn't have anything to do with fallen nature or sinful nature, but resurrected nature. And that means all of those things, all of those places, words said, actions performed, that you wish you could undo because of your sinful nature, because of your resurrected nature. While they cannot be undone, they can be redone. The clock starts over. It is the great redo. And you get to choose from here on forward whether or not to live your life as a child of the fall or a child of the resurrection. And if that's the case, then I've just got one question for you. Are you waiting for Superman? Are you waiting for something to come along and turn back the clock? Because the truth is, you don't have to. That because Jesus lives, you can enter into a full 
and resurrected life of newness and hope. And so I don't know what that means for you, whether that's a relationship with a parent or a spouse or a child. But I know this, that to walk in newness of life, God thought we needed a resurrection. So about four months ago, I was sitting with a couple who had been in a really dark place about five years ago because he had had an affair. And they went through all of the things that you would expect a couple to go through when one of them has an affair. There was a time when she left, a time when she came back and made him leave, not knowing if they were going to stay together, hold together, what are you going to do about the kids? All of those ups and downs in counseling and at working, in counseling and at not working, out of counseling and at working, in counseling and at not working, everything that you would expect. And as we were talking, she said, we're in such a better place now, but here's what it took. I had to realize that we would never have our old marriage back. but we could have a new marriage. And this is why in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians and all through the scriptures, the Apostle Paul insists on this one central thing, that for those who are in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation. And this is the reason that Jesus says to us, behold, I make all things new. Let those with ears to hear, hear the word of the Lord. Let me pray for you. God, give us strength to step into the new creation, order, and life that you have given us. That through Jesus Christ, we have come to a new perspective and seeing the world anew, and that you are breathing every day into us newness of life. And may we embrace it and hold it and be made new through the power, the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead. And we ask for these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecstasyhouston.org.